When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Guess what? U.S. marriage rate has declined 8 percentage points since 1990. And divorce rates among older Americans have increased. We're going to explore these social cultural changes and share research outcomes and evidence-based approaches to promote healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I'm psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno, and I've provided marriage and family therapy to diverse couples addressing a variety of challenges in their relationships. In today's show, I'm partnering up with licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist Philip A. Reynolds to talk more about engagement and marriage. Philip specializes in relationship issues and family conflict and has been in practice for nine years. You have engagement and marriage questions. We have about 20 years of marriage and family therapy practice to share with you. We'll be listening to your questions and sharing our professional and personal insights to support your well-being and relationships. Welcome to Wit and Reason, hosted by psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno. Dr. Moreno brings her expertise to providing smart and practical explanations on human behavior by interviewing diverse health experts regarding today's ever-evolving life and culture, turning social science and research into relatable, accessible, and useful information you can use. Listen now as Dr. Moreno brings a little bit of positive mental health to your day. We're seeing some interesting new trends in marriage over the past few decades. Americans are staying single longer. The median age at first marriage has reached its highest point on record. So in 2018, the median age for marriage for women was 28 years old and for men, 30 years old. So Philip, what do you think might be contributing to this expanded single phase in American lives? 
Um, I could give you something extremely technical and complicated, but I think it's a focus on self and even the, the degree of selfishness. Yeah. And so I think it's what I want, what I want for my career, how I want to have things set up perfectly uh, at the time when I think about getting married, which brings with it the complication that once married, now you're working on being partnered. And right. it's much harder when you've been just focused on yourself and kind of that selfishness for, let's say, 30 years, 35 years before you get to your first marriage and it's like oh this is hard uh -huh. this is challenging yeah yeah i read research that shows that as you as you go on later in life you kind of are more set in your ways exactly you know um philip what do you think might be contributing to this expanded single phase in americans lives um, I could give you a complex answer, uh -huh. but I, I think it's a, a focus on self and even the degree of selfishness. Mm -hmm. um, I want to have these things in my life. I want to set up. I want to get my traveling out of the way. I want to get my career set the way that I'd like to do it. You know, even in some instances, I want to be able to afford the size home that I want to have. Yeah. And so I kind of want to delay it until I have the things that I want or the things that I think I'll need. Um, so I won't be longing for them once I'm married. Right. And it seems like Back in the day, the concept was we will build these things together. Correct. Or back in the day, the concept was one only one person, typically the guy in, the, in a heterosexual uh, relationship would be, you know, the man in the relationship right. will, ha will be the one with all the aspirations and then the female in the relationship will be the one just kind of supporting the family. So they had right. a different interaction back then. Right. These days, it seems like everyone's going for their own things and there's right. this, for some reason, idea that it... You can only do that independently. Right. And there is that that sense of independence, even as far as, you know, sex is concerned. So now yeah. I'm even doing that and trying to discover my sexual self uh -huh. outside of a relationship before I settle down. And, and I'm partnered, but I don't really want to commit because commitment, I mean, it's going to tie me to a particular area and, and, right. and even a phase of my career and things of that nature. And so I think a lot of it is you do have two partners in a relationship now that are striving to hit these markers of success that I think are harder to reach in mm -hmm. some sense. No one's getting with one job and staying with one job. Yeah. So if I'm changing jobs every five years and I'm relocating and I want that flexibility to get that right job, being partnered is going to make that tougher in some sense. So mm -hmm. I want flexibility and singleness is going to give me that. Right, right. So what, what you uh, labeled as, as uh, selfishness. I kind of, when I was looking at this research, I was thinking that people are, are dedicated more to self-investment. Right. So they are focusing on themselves and their goals and their aspirations um, more so before they get into a relationship. Um, and I guess depending on what's motivating that, it could be healthier way to go versus bringing somebody in if you're not quite ready. So that's when it becomes tricky at the point in time that they're thinking about marriage or they're married. They've spent a significant amount of time self-investing uh -huh. in the ways that they want to self-invest. Yeah. And so now you have this partner that's been doing the same thing and what they want to help make themselves better is for you to do these things. Well, I don't want anybody telling me. I don't want that pull from somebody else. I want to continue to self-invest in the way I, I want to mm -hmm. instead of kind of an, a partnered investing. They, being in a relationship, you are going to have to sacrifice some things, but you're mm -hmm. not learning to do that when it's just you uh -huh. and you're moving to the beat of your own drum in the way that you want to. So I think investing in yourself and growing and improving and becoming better, excellent. Yeah. But to what end? What's your goal? And how do you bring somebody else in that with you so right. you have more of a partner? And a lot of people seem to have this idea that it's either 
you know, you're independent or you're codependent. Right. Right. And then in healthy relationships, you want to practice something that's more interdependent. Absolutely. So where both people are working together and supporting each other and you're a team. Right. Where there's where there's a, a balance. We right. have this goal. How can we get there? And a lot of what I end up doing with couples as that have been married for quite some time, it's OK, you guys are working against each other. Mm-hmm. His strength is great and can support you because you're weak in that area, but Uh you have other strengths that you can bring to the table and support him where they're weak. And so think of it like the kids cartoon Voltron. How can we fit these pieces together Uh so that we're stronger together moving in these positive directions instead of, well, I'm strong here. Well, I don't like letting you have the lead there and being strong there. I don't like to make that sacrifice. I want to be equal to you. I want to, you know, take power in some way, shape or form. And now we have conflict. Right, right. And so it's more about like, how can we complement one another within a relationship? Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay. um, Let's see. So here's another bit of what we see from the research or or the polls. So now we're also seeing that of our married adults, at least in 2015, so like the uh, 50 and older crowd, out of 1,000, 10 had divorced. Now, back in 1990, it was five out of every uh, 1,000. So increasing divorce rates for our our older population. Now, when we're looking at 65 and older, their divorce rates have tripled since 1990. So what do you think about the increasing divorce rates? Um, You know, delaying until when you get married. Now, you're at that more set in stone kind Mm -hmm. of phase of life, that 35, 40 range. And it is much tougher to, to... offer up those sacrifices. Uh, And the idea is, well, the same way that I've moved through careers or I've changed where I've lived, if I just do better the next time with my next partner, Uh it will be better for me. And so I can essentially upgrade. Not looking at statistics to say that second marriage is any quicker than first marriage a lot of times. And so it's that idea that I can keep doing better. I can get that next car. I'm not buying cars anymore. I'm leasing them. So I can have Mm -hmm. that flexibility to find the next thing that's going to fit and make me happy. And it's chasing that pursuit. And oftentimes when I'm dealing with divorce couples, it's, well, I'm not happy anymore or we grew apart. Mm-hmm. And so now I want something different that's going to make me feel better. Well, you're, you're not buying a pair of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're committing to a relationship and a life to work with partners and, and, and grow and you're going to have the ups and downs. But I think a lot of it is I want to do me and mm-hmm. you're inhibiting me and limiting me and the next person won't. The next person, it'll be better. Right. And the reality is you keep taking your same old self from relationship mm-hmm. to relationship. And so it's you that's the problem and not the next person. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that was really the struggle for me as when I was doing couples therapy was that you'd have a couple coming in with all these problems and all I would want to do is separate them. Right. You each need to work on yourselves individually first right. before we try to come in as a couple and like work on both of you together because it's like a whole other thing. Right. Right. But see, I go the opposite direction. Yeah. They want to do that separate thing. And I was like, be in the room together uh-huh. because that's when I'm able to see as a third party those issues and dynamics that are presenting themselves. And in some way, I'm the referee. I'm the mediator. Yeah. Okay, flag on the play. This thing that you've been pursuing because you think you're right in, you're wrong in. Right. And you're not seeing how it's hurting your partner. So let's try to look at this through a different lens mm-hmm. so that we can better understand it. And that's a lens. I had a guy come in recently that wants to leave his wife 10 years of marriage because he's found someone else that makes him happy. Uh-huh. And it's looking at the fact and talking about his other relationship and it's, 
we are already laying the foundation for the same exact things that you had with your wife. And mm-hmm. she's going to her therapist and he's telling her, well, you need to come back and make him follow your rules now. And I'm like, no, that's not helpful. That's not what we're trying <laughs> yeah. to do. So you're bringing things into the office with me that aren't going to be helpful in the long term with really working and focusing in on this relationship. So I'm of a different mindset. I don't want you going to your 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 separate people. Right. Bring it in here. Let's deal with all the mess together because once we're done here, you're still going to have a life where you're together. Figure out how to do it here instead of going to your separate corners and trying to make it work. Exactly. So once you are in a couple right. or in like a marriage, right. you're going to have to work it out. So you're, you do need to be together. Right. right. My thinking is like, man, if only these people would have had therapy during their single times right. on their individual self before they got into this right. you know, relationship and tried you know, hashing things out that way. It's it's why yeah. I'm a, a, a huge advocate of premarital counseling. I yeah. tell all friends, I tell everybody I connect with, this needs to happen before you get married. You need right. to see these issues pop up. Because it's going to come up I had in a couple marriage. in premarital counseling that didn't know that the husband was struggling with a cocaine addiction. They had oh been together gosh. for five years. And I'm like, can, can, how do we, yeah. how do we get here? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, debt, there's a huge pile of debt. Well, okay. Debt in and of itself isn't a problem, but there's an emotional tie to shopping. Uh-huh. So when she's feeling strong emotion, she goes and shops and runs up credit card debt and you're not knowing about it because a, she doesn't want to talk about the emotions, but we're figuring this out in premarital counseling. So yeah. you can decide if you want to cut bait and run or right. you want to actually deal with it now. It, it's hard to, to try to work on those things when you're tied into the, to the marriage, you know, when, when the papers have been signed and you have some kids and you have a mortgage and then all of these emotional things or, you know, mental health things that are creeping up that weren't solved way back when in your 20s. And that's one of the things I do with couples that are talking about uh, getting a a divorce or thinking about that idea and they're feeling bad. And I'm like, no one ever goes to the altar and says, you know what, it'll be a good idea in five or six years to get divorced. Or, yeah. I kind of want to cut it off at the 10 to 20 year mark. And then that's when we'll get divorced. You get married with the idea of being married permanently. Mm-hmm. But you come in with this limited set of tools in order to be able to do that. Right. You're bringing the tools that you got from what? Watching your parents' relationship and your friends' relationship. and Watching what, TV. Right. You're <laughs> the first out of your peer group to get married. Yeah. How do we do this? And if you take that same limited set of tools and try to build an entire house with it, it's not going to work. You're going to damage something. You try installing a window with a jackhammer, you're going to have problems. Yeah. So on, on that note, okay, so with these large scale social changes, um, you know, with people waiting longer till they get married, um, with the divorce rates going up, uh, it seems like psychologists and psychotherapists are very much needed to help individuals and families navigate these changes, Mm -hmm. especially since elders in the community may not be able to relate because these are relatively new occurrences that have been going on for the past 25 years. So maybe back in the day, you could be like, hey, you know, parents, how did you handle this or grandparents? And it's just a different culture now. And I think it's a different culture now, but they didn't necessarily do it yeah, the best way possible. Exactly. But yeah. what they had going for them was that sense of commitment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay in this no matter what. Right. It's going to go bad. Um, things are going to be challenging, but I'm going to stay in this no matter what. And so I think nowadays it's okay when something bad comes up, when the winds blow, mm-hmm. that's when I'm going to be out. And I tell couples in premarital counseling, one of the worst reasons you could get married is because you're in love. Uh huh. That's an emotion. That's an emotion. Yeah, emotions are fluid. I I, I think the way that we understand love Uh um, now and accept it is based on an emotion. But I think in reality, love is a commitment. I'm going to do these things when I feel like doing them or when I don't feel like doing them, I'm going to commit to do them. And I say being married myself 
marriage, you will be far angrier at your partner than you've ever been anyone else uh-huh. in life. Yeah. How are you going to deal with that? Because at that commitment level, if you know my partner was my best friend, we might have been in a physical altercation. Jeez, but yeah. we're, we're not. We're not doing that. So uh-huh. how do we manage those feelings when things are bad? When we are having those challenges? And I think now it's the lack of commitment. I can just be done when I want to be done. Right. I'm not committed like my parents' generation was. Yeah. When I'm frustrated, I can be out and find somebody else that's going to be less frustrating. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's it's very different. So even I mean, like back in the day, there was commitment no matter what. Right. I mean, like abuse, violence, right? right. You know, um, addiction. Like there there was a really unhealthy patterns. There was still commitment. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the healthiest way to go about right. a marriage. Um, but sometimes it is just helpful to work with somebody who's been trained, who's studied this, right. who understands like the greater um, scope of like what the research shows and like what's an ideal way to kind of tackle these things. Right. Um, and so could you tell us um, in your experience, like what motivates a person um, or couple to seek premarital marriage or divorce counseling? Usually the idea of marriage and friends around will say, hey, you guys should probably get some premarital counseling, something along those lines. Um, Or it's just something that we should do. I know for uh, religious reasons, a lot of couples will seek out premarital counseling because the priest or clergy won't marry them unless they do some type of counseling. And so I think that's what motivates couples to get in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, What motivates them to stay in there in premarital counseling is that they're feeling some benefit from it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it also causes uh, some people to flee premarital counseling because it's getting too real and we're dealing with too much stuff. And oftentimes, stereotypes hold true. They're there for a reason. It's the guy that wants to be done. Uh, It's it's this is limiting kind of my power, my influence, my authority, kind of the autonomy that I want to hold over this relationship. It's too much of a microscope. I don't want to deal with it. Uh And so they'll come in for a few sessions and then they disappear. Okay. And the wife calls back and or the the fiance calls back and says, you know, can we come in for a few more sessions Mm -hmm. or things aren't going that well? Do you think, is there something that I could say to him to get him to come back in? And it's just being under that microscope as guys, we're not as used to or familiar with or comfortable with the idea of sitting in counseling Mm -hmm. where somebody else is looking at and evaluating us. We think, you know, we're the the superhero, very much American culture. We're the the lone ranger, the lone survivor that can do it on our own. We don't need that help. Yeah. Well, we do need help. And and so, what's it like for you as a therapist to try to work with men on on these types of things that you see coming up? I think um, I'm direct. Yeah. So any male that's been in couples therapy with me, I'm harder on him than I am on uh, the the partner in the relationship Mm -hmm. because there's a firmness that he can relate to. So think about the the coaches that that men have growing up Uh in in sports or, you know, even even as far as women too having coaches, but just that relationship that a young boy has with with his coach Mm -hmm. or the firm father. And so I try to bring that in the room to really hold them accountable. And it's it's interesting because I get to push on them in some ways that you would think, why would you do that as a therapist? But that's what they're used to. They're mm-hmm. used to that firm kind of push that makes them take a step back and makes them really think about it. And that is going to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. I think we as people want to be held accountable. It's just what's the best way for accountability for us. And mm-hmm. so I'm really direct. I'm really challenging and saying, hey, your wife is coming in here asking for these things and you're falling short. You're not being a good partner, mm-hmm. but yet you want her to be open and available to you sexually. Right. 
Yeah. You think one <laughs> informs the other? Let, let's see. What if I said to your wife, you know, I, I come home, I give you flowers, I talk to you, I check in about your day, mm-hmm. I'm calling you throughout the day, I'm texting you. Oh, yeah, I'd definitely be more open yeah. to it. Really? Well, this isn't rocket science, guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the opposite sex. This is how we approach it. This is how you care well for. And so I often use that language. How can you care well for your partner? Uh-huh. And how can she care well for you? And I think being married or hopefully leading up to marriage, the idea of caring well for each other is something that resonates with people yeah. and that we've gotten away from being able to care well for each other because right now I'm just trying to take care of myself because you aren't. Uh huh. And is this a similar approach that you take for people in, who are married? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I try to treat premarital counseling as though they are already married in some sense. And so, so I'll the slip expectation up. is there. Right. I'll slip yeah. up and I'll say husband. I'll slip up and I'll say wife because uh-huh. these are things you should be doing already. Yeah. Why are you talking about getting married if you guys don't know how to care well for each if other you're already? already? Kind of struggling with these like, kind of foundational right, things. You're keeping yeah. secrets or you're not, your communication is terrible. Why are you thinking about getting married if this is just where we are already or he's already had you guys have been together for seven years Mm -hmm. just dating and he's been unfaithful to you two or three times and there's no real resolution to it yeah so why are we at the point where we're getting married if he can't be faithful yeah and i mean those are really tough questions absolutely but so necessary before you know you sign that paperwork and you commit the rest of your life i'm doing air quotes right right, right, (laughs) assuming the rest of your life together you know and bringing kids into it and 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 family and and now it's playing out in front of the kids yeah and now what i try to project for them is okay imagine now you're in the situation husband fiance where your daughter is in a relationship thinking about getting married and her partner has been unfaithful to her two times Mm -hmm. Now, as a father, how are you treating that? Because why are you treating that differently as a father than you are as someone who's getting ready to be a husband? Right. Because now there's an air of hypocrisy in it. And now when your kids come back and say, well, you didn't, Mm -hmm. what ground do you have to stand on? So you have to be and model what you want your daughter to to marry eventually, but you're not doing it now. And that's somebody else's daughter. Mm -hmm. So what are we doing? Right. And I just leave it hanging. And we're going to be as silent as we need to be because you need to come up with an answer. Uh What are we doing? Exactly. I mean, because you see those play out from generation to generation to generation, because when you're raised in a family, like those are your role models. That is who you look to for an example of what does marriage look like? Absolutely. You know, what does having a family look like? What is that, um, you know, loving relationship look like or lack thereof? Which is why I I, I love, you know, I I went to Smith College. I'm trained psychodynamically, but I love object relations, you know, theory, because let's look back generationally at what this looks like in your family history. And Mm so you're struggling in your marriage and you're thinking about being unfaithful or you've been unfaithful. Was your dad unfaithful? Okay. Was your grandfather unfaithful? Mm -hmm. So you're continuing in this same pattern and you realize how it felt for you. Now you're about to add this onto your kids. Right. Okay. So at some point in time, somebody has to do something differently and Mm -hmm. I'm not here with your grandfather and great grandfather. I'm here with you. What are we going to do differently? Is there a different alternative than being unfaithful? And what's that ultimately going to do for you? That's going to be a hit of dopamine. That's going to make you feel good for a period of time. But what are you doing at the end of the day? And so let's look at those current early object relationships and how you learn how to interact and how you're bringing that to bear on your present relationship. And if kids are involved, how you're modeling and bringing that to bear Mm -hmm. is your son learning how to care well for his sisters or for his mom or for his girlfriend, or what's that going to look like? 
you know, mom, you're raising your voice when you're frustrated and angry. So is there a culture that's being learned that I raise my voice and yell when I'm not happy? Mm -hmm. What happens when you preload a boy with that and now he's bigger, stronger, and he's yelling at his smaller partner? Right. What are you bringing into the room? Where did you get that from? How did that show up? How do you see that generationally? Now what are you going to do about it? Exactly. And it's a tough process to go through going going through these types of questions and working out all of this stuff but you know what when you're in that room in the therapy room doing it you're not just doing it for yourself right and you're not even just doing it for your relationship or your children this is something that could change the rest of your family generations from that point on breaking that cycle absolutely um so it's it could be very challenging work um but it's very necessary. Right. And so people see professional athletes and think of the idea of a guy signing a, you know, $90 million contract guaranteed, or I think Bryce Harper's was $300 million or Uh something insane. And like, that's generational wealth. Yeah. That's counseling. Uh Counseling is generational wealth because if you can do it better and you can do it better for your kids, now they have a better set of tools to take into their relationship instead of more brokenness, more damage from the past that's just continuing on. And you see that cycle continue and perpetuate itself. And now you're old sitting back crying tears because this conflict is happening in your kids' relationship. Exactly. And you played a role in that. Yeah. All right. So if you're noticing that you have some things to work out in your relationship or if you see your friends kind of struggling with some things or you're getting ready for uh, marriage, um, Philip Reynolds is available on psychologytoday.com. So you can just do a search for Philip Reynolds and you'll be able to find um, his information. Um, He works on relationship issues, behavioral issues and family conflict. Um, We'll also have his contact information on witandreason.com. Uh, also, we mentioned um, abuse and violence in relationships. If, if you're experiencing anything um, that's severe, definitely get help today. There's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That's 1-800-799-7233. And now that we have um, a pretty solid understanding of the importance of going through psychotherapy to help enhance ourselves and our relationships. Why don't we go ahead and get some people's more specific questions related to uh, getting ready for marriage, dating, premarital stuff. Um, And let's see what kind of questions people have. How have relationships changed since the advent and popularization of online dating? Wow. (laughs) We'll just start with the easy questions. Online (laughs) dating. Yeah. Um, I think... If you use it as a tool Mm -hmm. and you're looking for um, and you know what you're looking for in a relationship and you know what you're not looking for, I think they can be useful tools. If you think about online dating, you tend to get far more information about another person before you ever agree to meet up in person. Uh At a bar, I see you. Well, what they decide to show you. Right. What they decide to show you. (laughs) But at a bar, I see you. I like you. You look good. We have some cursory conversations. Maybe we have a drink or two. And now here, perfect stranger is my phone number. Yeah. As opposed to online dating, I can read something about you. We can go back through text messages. We can exchange phone numbers and then we can decide to meet. Mm -hmm. And so I think as a resource, it can be positive. But I think 
there are a number of people that are using it that aren't necessarily looking for that long-term relationship. Yeah. And so misusing it, huh? Right. And so you get out there and you think, okay, this is going great, but they're serial dating. They have multiple people. They're not really interested in getting settling down. They know how to market themselves well Mm -hmm. with what they type, but what are you really getting? Um, And so it can be, um, misused quite often. And so you have to know how to scan and ask the right questions and have those pre- precursor conversations before you ever meet up in person. Um, but I think it can be a useful tool, especially yeah. for people that have relocated to a new area that are mm-hmm. trying to get to know people. Maybe some people will end up being good friends. Yeah. Um, but, you know, getting out there and, and, and dating, it can be a useful tool. Um, just don't absolutely invest all of yourself thinking that this is going to be it. Yeah. Um, Or this is the only route that I can take to meet somebody new. Right. Um, So the research uh, shows that although more people are more comfortable with online dating and more people are using it today than ever, um, as far as like marriages within the past five years, still haven't met their partner through online dating. They met through other means, through friends or um, social networks. Right. You know, so that's just, I mean, it's a useful tool to kind of expand your outreach. Absolutely. (laughs) Or or the the net that you're casting. Right. Um, But in many cases, at least still today, it's still coming down to physically putting yourself out there and getting to know people and socializing. And so the difference with... uh, meeting in person is you do get to feel that vibe. You yeah. do get to feel that that kind of energy, if you would, um, and determine like, oh, man, that's a, that's a great feeling or, oh, that's kind of creepy in a way that you can't necessarily through the typed word. Yeah. And so, you know, I think there is some benefit to that. I know people that have met um, their partners mm-hmm. through somebody they met on online dating that oh, they just funny. became friends with. <laughs> yeah. And it was just oh, you know, well, we're not a great fit, but there's this guy I think would be a good fit for you. So I think that human element, that face-to-face still does have significant benefit. All right, let me go ahead and play the next question. Okay. Is there any evidence one way or the other if you should live with someone before you get married? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I I found a lot of research on this one. (laughs) I did my research back in the day in my 20s when I was like going into this new phase of life and I was like, okay, what does the research show? Right, right, right. So, and um, it's still... Still pretty, uh, pretty standard. So, first of all, number of U.S. adults cohabitating with a partner is on the rise. Okay, makes sense. A number of Americans living with unmarried partners about 18 million in 2016. So that's a 29 percent increase since okay. 2007. Um, about half of the cohabitators are younger than 35, and cohabitation is quickly uh, rising among those Americans 50 and older. So. Right. Um, a lot of people say that they're comfortable with it. Now, the research, what it shows, um, it actually doesn't impact um, your marital instability or quality. Um, the big thing that you want to take a look at is why are you going into this uh, living situation? Right. If that's not clearly communicated, if one person's thinking, oh, we're, you know, we're moving in together because we're on our path to marriage, and the right. other person's thinking, oh, we're moving in together because it freaking rent is expensive it, as right. hell, you know? Right. So two totally different wavelengths, and obviously that's going to lead to some, some right. clash later on. But, I mean, what, I do, think, what do you I think? I think 
Yes. Going into it, what are we committing to by moving in together? Yeah. You know, there has to be some idea that this is something that's potentially going to be a long term situation. So what are we fundamentally committing to in doing this? And I think the problem is a lot of couples don't know what they're committing to when they do get involved. Mm -hmm. And so the numbers that I would like to see is. What uh, is the time between starting cohabitating and then when they actually end up getting engaged or getting married or what the resolution of that looks like? And if it doesn't add any benefit in that sense, then why are we doing this? Can I give you a funny quote? Yeah. Uh, So from the Journal of Family Psychology, it was um, constraints to stay together substantially increased with cohabitation and over time, <laughs> which was <laughs> hilarious to me because it's like, okay, we're living together. Right. We've been living together since forever, so might as well get married. Exactly. You feel So you want to make sure that that's not the motivating factor right. to getting married. Right. right. Okay, let's try to get in another uh, question here. Okay. What are some ways to foster and enhance open communication in a marriage? Great question. Open communication. That's o- a big one. Open communication. I think... Um, Asking questions, asking why, asking, you know, where that came from, kind of um, investigating, being an emotional detective. Don't assume that you have the answers. Don't assume that you know the motivation for things. Just asking why. And I think that opens up, draws out communications. It helps to bring my defenses down because I feel like you're genuine about wanting to know why. Um, I don't feel like I'm, I'm in a hostage situation where I have to tell you this or else because you're ready to respond before anything else. So I sit back, think, sit back listening. Uh, Amago therapy mm-hmm. is, is a really great approach where it's reflective listening. Reflect back to me what you just heard. Yeah. I think that helps with communication instead of I'm going to tell you you're going to respond this way or I'm going to anticipate a negative response. And so now we're in conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think really sitting back, listening and wanting to know why, wanting to understand and trying to draw your partner out is, is very important. Right. That communication is such an important piece. Right. And everyone knows that and everyone says it in practice. It's really tricky, right. you know, so working with a psychotherapist, checking out some of the resources we have online, um, reading some books to teach you like how to do it and how to practice it. Right. And the more and more you practice it, it's going to make it easier. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. okay. We have lots of other recommendations and resources available to you. Lots of great books. Um, there's even an app, Love Nudge from a Dr. Uh, Gary Chapman, who wrote Love Languages, which I'm interested in looking into. Um, But you could put all of these tips and activities into action today. Just visit witandreason.com to get links to the resources uh, we want to share with you from today's show and connect with me, Dr. Alexis Moreno, and licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, Philip Reynolds. Did you hear something on the show today that you relate to on a personal level? Share your story. Send us your recording on witandreason.com and we may be able to put it on our engagement and marriage show page to help others navigate their intimate relationships. A special thank you to DC Radio. And of course, thank you all for listening. Stay posted on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Wit and Reason and DC Radio for our next show. I'm Dr. Alexis Moreno. Let's keep the conversation going. You've been listening to Wit and Reason with psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno. For more information, visit witandreason.com. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. 
Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.